Okay, this evening, turn with me to Joshua chapter 23, if you would. In this chapter, Joshua gives exhortation, and that word simply means encouragement. He gives encouragement and admonition and warning to the elders, the judges, and the officers of Israel before his death. You know, I suppose the last words of a man would be very important to him if he's given opportunity to say anything that he believes that would be a help to others. This would be the time to say it while he's still alive. And in essence, what we have before us tonight in these verses is Joshua's last sermon. I've often thought about if I knew tonight was the last time that I would ever preach the gospel, what would I say? And I I think I can honestly say that I would say what I always say. Mm -hmm. I would point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only hope that any of us have. I wouldn't point you inward to yourself. Wouldn't tell you to have any confidence or hope in anything that you yourself have done. You must look to Christ who did the work for you. Big difference between do and done, isn't there? Big difference. We read in verse 1, And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And he said unto them, I'm old. I'm old and don't have much time left. I'm stricken in age. And you've seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. We looked at that phrase in detail. He did them all these things for Christ's sake, but He did them for you because of you. For the Lord your God is He that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I've cut off even to the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, He shall expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them nor bow yourself unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. And one man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God He it is that fighteth for you as He hath promised you. (laughs) When God is on your side, you are 
a favorite to win. Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? With Christ fighting for you, the victory is certain. Joshua said, you've seen all that the Lord has done for you. You know, I look back on the years of my life and I see all that the Lord's done for me. The Lord has fought for you, verse 3. The Lord fought all my battles for me. He said in verse 4, you've received the inheritance that the Lord had promised you. In Christ we do. We're joint heirs with Christ. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Verse 5, God has expelled your enemies. He's done away with them. He's driven them out to bother you no more. Sin, Satan, and even self. Put away. Be courageous. Keep and do all that is written in the law of Moses and don't turn to the right or the left. Verse 6. Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't come among these nations. Don't mention the names of their gods. Don't swear by their gods. Don't serve their gods. Don't bow yourselves unto them. Verse 7. You know, there are many little g-gods in the world today. I call them that because that's what they are. In the Scriptures, they're identified by the letter, the little g. They're not God, capital G-O-D. They're not the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. They're a little g-god. And there's many of them in the world today. You know, anything that we put before Christ is a little g-god. It's an idol. Only one can get all your love. Man can't serve two masters. He'll love the one, hate the other. He'll cling to the one and uh, be indifferent with the other. You can't, you can only hold on to one master, especially when they go in different directions. But there's only one God and there's only one way and there's only one truth in the scriptures. According to the scriptures, it says, no man cometh to the Father but by Him, Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 8, Joshua said, Cleave, <laughs> abide, be joined, become one, follow close and after unto the Lord your God. Isn't loving the Lord a reasonable response from one who's been so blessed by His mercy and grace? Isn't that our reasonable service? No doubt the love of a believer is responsive. Well, what do I mean by that? We love Him because He first loved us. This love didn't initiate with us. We didn't just decide that we were going to straighten up, follow right, and love the Lord Jesus. No. His love for us is the cause of our love for Him. Only love for God and Christ will cause the child of God to abstain from what the Lord warns them against. You cannot love God and also love the things that oppose Him. Did you hear me? You just can't. You can't do it. That's why I fly hot when I hear folks lie on God. That's not true. That's not my God. That's not the God of the Bible. Idolatry is nothing less than an extreme admiration, love, and reverence 
for someone or something other than God. That's what idolatry is. Any such thing that does has become an idol to us. We make idols of just about everything. Men do. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's places. Sometimes it's things. And I suppose if there's one thing I would want to remind you of tonight, and especially from this chapter, is the Scriptures are full of warnings. Hold your place here and turn with me to Psalm chapter 19. I want you to see this. Verse 7. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You know, the gospel, God reveals the gospel to babes. Um, making wise the simple. <laughs> the statutes, verse 8, of the Lord are right. They're righteous. We never have to concern ourselves with the Lord doing wrong. He always does that which is right. Everything the Lord demands from us is right and righteous. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, Pure, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They're truth and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. What's to be desired more than gold? The fear and the judgments, the verdicts of the Lord. God has given all power into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything... He does is lawful and right. Is it not lawful? He said Himself for me to do what I will with my own. Of course it is. He's God. Our reverence and our trust is in Him. And we stand perfect in judgment when we stand in Him. Jesus Christ is the one thing needful. He truly is. No one comes to the Father but by Him, as we've said. The ceremonial law is gone forever. The moral law is vanished in completion. The covenant works is done and finished. Why? Because He finished them. Kept the law of God perfectly for His people. Satisfied God's holy justice in their place. What do we have to offer God but Christ? That makes Christ our salvation, the one thing needful. He's the believer's one desire. Why, He's our great high priest. He's our spotless sacrifice. It's His blood alone that atones and God passes over. Christ is to be more desired than gold. Christ is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Is Jesus Christ sweet to you? Tell me the story of Jesus. Sweetest Story I ever heard. Sweet, isn't it? How the God Himself became flesh and blood and died for a wretch like me. You tell me something any sweeter than that. Oh, it's sweet to my soul. Do you desire Christ more than anything? When you see what you are, you will. 
Look at verse 11 here in Psalm 19. Moreover, by them, that being, that's speaking of the holiness and pureness of Christ and His righteous judgment, is thy servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Friends, Christ is our great warning and Christ is our great reward. You know, when by God's grace He shows us something of the holiness and pureness and righteousness of the Lord Jesus, we see something of our own depravity and our own sinfulness and our need of Him. Uh, moreover, the psalmist is saying, by the pureness of Christ, God will judge according to perfect righteousness. That's why everything with the believer is going to be alright because we are perfectly righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not hard doctrine. <laughs> this is doctrine that we must believe and trust in. In order to be accepted, we have to have the perfect righteousness and standing of Christ. Therefore, we must be found in Him. Now these are the last words of Joshua. Back in Joshua 23, verse 11, we have such a warning as this. These are the last words of Joshua. He says in verse 11, Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Take good heed. Be on guard. Pay close attention. Give hearing and consideration to watch out for these things. It's a warning. Joshua is giving a very stern warning here. This is, and this is just not picking on religion. You you prove something to be crooked when you set something next to it that's straight. That's what we do in preaching. We, we lay the plumb line of the Word of God up next to the error of another Gospel, which is not another. And the perfectly straight Gospel exposes the crookedness of the false one. Joshua said, take good heed. We better. And every true Gospel preacher does the same. Take good heed. Look, look back at Joshua 22, verse 5 not a new message from Joshua. He said here, but take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses the servant of the Lord charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways. And why wouldn't we want to? <laughs> and to keep His commandments and to cleave unto Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's the desire of every true believer. And Joshua gave us five things to heed in this single verse. Love the Lord your God. Walk in His ways. Keep His commandments. Cleave unto Him, Christ the Lord. And serve Him with all your heart and soul. Moses said in Exodus 15, verse 26, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in His sight, and will give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes, 
I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. We've got to be perfect to be accepted. How are we going to do that? You know how, and so do I. Only one way. Isaiah 55, 2 and 3. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor, and you labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently. Take heed unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. That's the Lord speaking. That's the Lord speaking to His people. And the exhortation that Joshua gives here in verse 11 is not to only take heed to what not to do, but also to take heed to what to do. Take heed unto yourselves, be on guard and watchful, diligently see to it, not only that you be not ensnared by the Canaanites and draw aside from them into idolatry, but that you love the Lord your God. Now the love for the Lord your God is the only thing that in the end will ever cause you to prevail. How else can we be on guard and watchful for our hearts and for our souls without loving God? There's only one way that you love the Lord your God. As we've already stated, we love God because He first loved us. Which again reveals to us that salvation's of the Lord, doesn't it? If it didn't initiate with me, then it had to initiate with Him. Therefore, salvation is of the Lord's initiation. The Lord did it. From start to finish, from beginning to end, 100% of the Lord. Well, you, brother, I thought salvation was certain because we were elected. No, election is unto salvation. Salvation is of the One who elected us. It's not our choice of God that saves us, but it's His sovereign choice of us. The Lord said, you've not chosen me. And here's the exception. But, here's the exception. But, I have chosen you. That clears that up. The exception is the one that God makes. The choice is the choice that God makes. He has mercy on whom He'll have mercy. Well, you said that last message. I hope to say it every message. Because God has mercy on whom He has mercy. And thank God that He has mercy on some. All of them that He has mercy on are made perfect in Christ. Christ died for all in the world who would believe on His Son and all for whom Christ died would believe that Christ died for them. I really do believe that Christ died for me. I don't look within me to find any comfort and rest in that fact. I look to Him and find all of it. Every bit of it. He promised that He would. He said, cast your care on Me because I careth for you. He was 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you say, but I'm the chief, even the chief of sin. And this is not being arrogant, it's being confident. It's not being confident in me, it's being confident in the Lord Jesus. How how sad is our state and our nature that we have to be encouraged to love, trust, and obey our merciful and gracious God. But we do. Like the prodigal son, may God's Spirit bring us to our senses. Do you remember what he said? He said, it's better to be a servant in my father's house than to be in this world alone without help and without any hope. I'm going to go and throw myself upon the mercy of my father. So just give me a job in your kitchen. I'd fare better than I'm faring on my own. I'll beg my Father to make me a hard servant. This is the depth, dear friends, that God brings His children out of the depths. They'll cry. Now I want you to pay close attention to the next word in our text. It's the first word found in verse 12. The word else. What's the interpretation of that? Or else. Love the Lord your God or else. Now this is a word used in the Scriptures to warn or threaten what will happen if the commandment of God is not carried out. And in this instance, if you don't love the Lord your God, there will be consequences. Love the Lord your God or else. Well, now is this a threatening? Or is this a warning? Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's a warning to those who do not believe His Word. And it's a threatening to those who profess to believe His Word and don't. You know, a warning from a sovereign Lord, a sovereign God who does as He pleases and how He pleases, to whom He pleases, is no less than a threatening in the end when the end is eternal death. If His warnings are not heeded, then His warnings certainly become threatenings. Friends, this is God Almighty that we're talking about. This is not a God who needs our cooperation and assistance. When God sends you something that strips you of any power to make any difference, I mean, He sends you a trial and you're just shut up to the fact that if the Lord don't do something for me in this trial, in this struggle, I'm doomed. You see that you're helpless. I'm telling you, it'll change the way that you seek God. You'll seek Him on your knees. You'll seek Him at the feet of Christ. No higher place to seek Him than at Christ's feet. You won't go to the world for help because you know they can't help. Don't go back among the world. Don't go back to the Canaanites. Don't cleave to them. Don't, don't cleave to their God. 
Did you notice the words to these that remain among you? I thought the Lord left that just for me. The Lord left them there. The enemies that were left. If the Lord did the fighting, if the Lord did the defeating, if the Lord did the driving out, then those that are left, He left there for a reason. And they're left according to His purpose. Will you love the Lord your God or will you love the world in which you live? That's a very pertinent question. It's a very crucial question. Notice what else Joshua says in verse 12. Don't you make marriages with them. Don't go in unto them. Don't you lay with them. Don't you allow them to lay with you. Now when the Scriptures talk about marriage, it always has reference to the Lord Jesus and His church. It always pictures in some way Christ and His bride. Spiritually speaking, this refers to being especially careful not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers of this world. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Now we live in a world, in this world, but we're not of this world. For the glory of God, we should be kind to folk. As ambassadors of Christ, we should be humble. As adopted children, we should be eternally dedicated and grateful. And it's in the good providence of God that we work with unbelievers, some of our neighbors, some of our, even of our own family. But we can't worship with them. It's sad, but true. It's a different God. It's a different spirit. It's another Jesus, which is not another. It's another gospel, which is not another. And we don't get into debates and arguments with folks about their gods. If God ever gives a dead sinner interest, God Himself will provide the means of the preacher for them to hear. I have found from experience that in most cases, you're not going to straighten out someone's error who doesn't believe that they're wrong. And I'm not saying not to talk about the Lord in front of folks, but don't make it a religious thing. It's not a religious thing. Better not be. The Gospel of Christ is a way of living thing. When you're trusting in Christ, it'll show. Like we always say, kind of like being pregnant with a child. You won't have to tell anybody. Pretty soon, it'll be obvious. I was talking to Brother Paul last week and he was telling me about when he worked out the state highway to department. Everybody was religious. And um, he said that when they'd start talking religion to him, he'd just change the subject or get busy real quick doing something else. <laughs> you know, it takes two to argue, doesn't it? Don't argue with them. And if you're arguing with yourself, then you need a whole different kind of help. But take heed, good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else. Else what? Verse 13. Know 
for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Know for a certainty according to the Scriptures in accordance with the Word of God. Know this. It's definitely true. It's, the, it's something that can be uh, relied upon to be so. A person or a thing that can be relied upon. Is there anything sure in an unsure world? Yes. No for certainty. Here's a fact that it's true. The Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations, these enemies from before you. Now let's just think for a minute what that's saying. Is the gospel just another part of the pieces of your life? What I mean is, is the gospel just a, a Sunday and Wednesday thing to you? Or is the gospel your life? And I'm not trying to be fanatical or hyper-religious. If, if the gospel is not the most important thing to you, if the, if the Lord Jesus Christ is your substitute and your sacrifice doesn't mean everything to you, if He is not an absolute necessity in your life, then you have reason to doubt the certainty of your salvation. And if you cleave to the world, its religion, and you make marriages and covenants and promises and oaths with this world, your enemies will forever remain. There'll be snares and traps to you. There'll be scourges in your side and there'll be thorns in your eyes until the day you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. That's a warning from God. And this is what makes God's enmity, God's hostility toward the carnal, fleshly mind, the thinking of men, that they will not believe and they will not bow and they will not trust and rely and depend upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that would be way too humil humiliating, wouldn't it? Men and women feel as though they themselves must do something that would make their cooperation and their will in some way effectual. How can men and women say that salvation is by the sovereign grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ and yet believe that it was their cooperation and the lending of their free will that made the effectual difference. It's speaking out of both sides of the mouth and the heart. Those who refuse to believe otherwise will soon discover that God may just let them have their way. I'd be terrified, honestly terrified, if God allowed my sin to run its course, causing me to be ensnared and scourged and having severe damage done to my vision, while all the while giving me the very things because I desired them. My, that would be hell, wouldn't it? The very things that we desire are the things that destroy us by nature. 
Certainly, we don't know what's best for us. That's why we must trust in the one that does. <laughs> he knows what's best for us. He sends cancer. I don't understand that. He sends it. He sends it for our good. I believe that. I know this much. The lack of the love of God certainly brings out the worst possible outcome, it seems. Take good heed that you love the Lord your God. This is how we make our calling and election sure. That's why I read that passage in Second Peter. In verse 14 here, Joshua is a true pastor of God's people. He's about to pass from this earth. He's not interested in building a legacy. He's not interested in having a statue erected in his name. I can assure you of that. In his final sermon, he points to Christ. The one thing needful, and he warns against turning to the left or to the right. And he says in verse 14, I'm going the way of the earth. And I might add, every man and woman born will one day do just that. Joshua was saying, I'm dying soon. There's no reason for me not to tell you the truth. In your heart and in your soul, you know that the Lord did not fail to do anything that He promised. You can look back on your life, dear believer, and you can say that. He'd done everything He promised to do. He did all the good things that He spoke concerning you. All are come to pass unto you. All of them. Not one thing hath failed thereof. That's the Gospel. Completely saved. Perfectly saved. Sin paid in full. Sin forever put away. The law perfectly fulfilled. God's justice completely satisfied. The believer ever perfect and conformed to Christ. In Christ, not one thing hath failed thereof. In verse 15, Joshua, our Savior, reminds Israel again of who it is that saves. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you. But if we insist on being disobedient, if we insist on having it our way, look what else he says there in verse 15. So shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until He hath destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And I'm reminded again that men and women by nature cannot not sin. That's why we've got to have a Savior, friends. We've got to have a Savior. <laughs> to Him coming. To whom coming? We keep coming to Him. I come to Him today. I come to Him tomorrow. I come to Him every minute of every day because sin is not only what I do, but sin is what I am. That word then... God's warnings are never empty. That word then in verse 16 suggests that we will constantly be confronted with some kind of sin. Well, it comes from within. Why is that? Because the sin is within. 
In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Give diligence and take heed to make your calling. You know that word there in Second Peter means um, comfort? Take heed to make your comfort an election sure. Isn't that? I love that. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. So which is it, preacher? Do we do or has Christ done? Christ has done. And we, all we do is love Him for what He has done. Give diligence. Take good heed that you love the Lord your God. That's my encouragement to you and to me tonight. Love the Lord your God. It's the sure way of giving you comfort. In Christ, we don't fear anything. Not even death. In death... Death is a promotion in Christ. In Christ, death is a departure. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, in Christ, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We don't perish. We depart. (laughs) The Lord said, I've gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, you shall be also. Listen, the heaven is to be face to face with Christ my Savior. That's our hope. That's our assurance. That's our rest. We love Him because He first loved us. Herein is love, not that we love God. Oh, you tell somebody that today, that's I beg your pardon. No, herein is love, not that we love God. That's not the love that saves us, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Payment for our sins. The only way your sins are ever going to be paid for is that if Christ came and paid for them. Take heed to love the Lord your God. May God be pleased to make it so for His glory and our good and for Christ. Say.